Coming to you from New York City. This week and every week, it's the Ben Kissel Show. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. All right. All right. Well, let's start the show, huh? Okay. How does that sound, Ben? Sounds great. That's, it's nice to have another Ben in the room. It's a, it's a rare name. You're a beautiful Ben, though. It's nice. Thank you. It's nice to be not 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 the only Ben. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Ben Kissel, joined by Mike Coscarelli. Thanks for being here, Mike, and doing everything that you do. Our guest today, Ben Cronenberg. Thank you so much for being here, Ben. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's see. What should we discuss? You were on Last Comic Standing. Your name is Ben, but you're not large. How does that make you feel? Um, uh, um, Usually fine. Bens are big. Why aren't you big? <laughs> have you thought about being bigger? Big Ben. Big Ben. Are you Big Ben? I have big balls. Okay. Perfect. Oh, should I press the <laughs> cough button? <laughs> should I turn my head and cough when I say balls? Yeah. I was watching Charlie Rose, as I always do, because I have the um, mind of a 90-year-old Alzheimer's patient. And uh, Rosie O'Donnell was on there. No, not Rosie O'Donnell. Roseanne Barr. A different Rosie altogether. And she was very stupid. You did this uh, last comic standing show, and Roseanne Barr was one of the judges. Skinnier now than she once was, which wasn't difficult because she was massively obese. She was very rude to you. She was rude to me. Um, she was a mean-spirited wench of a woman. Well, she's a Scorpio. She had no choice. Uh, <laughs> that's what they do. That's what they do. They're either really sweet or really uh, they got that poison that they want to yeah. inject into you, which they can't help it. We were talking with Rob Cantrell on a couple of episodes ago, <laughs> and of course he really got a large break on Last Comic Standing. I think he was in the top ten of the uh, of the show, and he was on the premiere episode, him and Ralphie May, and uh, of course Dat Fan. Yeah, I think that fan was the actual big winner of that. But Rob was talking about how they wanted to create a narrative, create a character around him because it's reality TV. But as we all know, it's all make believe, just like the WWE. Um, and uh, his character they wanted to make was a teacher by day, comedian by night. But in reality, Rob Cantrell is a stoner by day, more stoned by night. Yeah. And uh, so he didn't really apply that narrative to his actual career. And, uh, you know, he was wondering if that actually hurt or helped him. What do you think the narrative they tried to create for you on Last Comic Standing was or was it going to be? Um, you know, I uh, it's hard to say. I think anybody that saw the show that... Um, was didn't know who I was and was not already a fan of mine. Right, which is most people, unfortunately. Not anymore because you're on the Ben Kissel show right here on All Things Comedy. <laughs> All things, <laughs> <laughs> two things comedy, <laughs> just enough yeah. comedy. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know. I think it was just they. It was their opportunity to, to kind of infuse some drama and controversy into this show that mm. was probably. You know, they just have to wait for those moments, right, to pick that fight. And, and I just gave them an opportunity to do that. And How'd so you that, give them the opportunity? What did you do I, that was so uh, elaborately douchey? Well, I don't, I mean, I don't think anything that I did was douchey. Though right. They, you know, the way they cut me and my responses, it was very much like that. Uh, you remember Running Man? Of course, with Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Arnold Schwarzenegger and another amazing performance by. Um, he used to host the uh, the Family Feud. He's oh, dead yeah, now. Yeah, he yeah. would kiss everybody on the lips. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Richard Richard Dawson. Dawson. Yes, he was amazing. One of the creepiest hosts of all time. Oh, Running Man, so good. Check out Running Man, and it's very. Uh, it is. Uh, it's 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 always a timely movie. Yeah, and and so like what, with how they got you know the the part of that narrative how they got Arnold into the uh, um, competition into the competition was by framing him right. and, and re-editing this stuff to make him look like the butcher of Bakersfield, right? Right. Even though he was against what was happening just through through the media mm-hmm. 
editing and whatnot. They... He wasn't going to shoot innocent civilians. Arnold said, that's not for me. I joined the military to protect. Yeah. And they said, shoot the innocents. And Arnold said, I can't do that. I'm a future it. governor. And then he, uh, and then they, they, they framed him. So that was kind of what happened with me is that, is I... You're I, the Arnold Schwarzenegger from Running Man of Last Comic Standing. That's very correct. Okay. That was my... That was wasn't me doing an Arnold Schwarzenegger. That was like me almost having to burp and then Which like is, saying that's correct. That and that is how you do the Arnold Schwarzenegger. Very correct. That's perfect. So if you want to know how to do the impression, almost burp and just start talking, and you yeah. sound just like Arnie. Yep. So um, you were framed in a negative light. Well, yeah, and plus it, it was a little uh, deceptive because initially when when I came in and and did the first audition just in front of producers and NBC executives. Uh, they they were like you know we, we're gonna um, make this season be better and different than all the other seasons and we're gonna respect the comedians mm. and this is all about you and <laughs> right. we want you know we want this to be a good environment and a positive experience and oh yeah I, because that's what sells reality television shows yeah. a harmonious situation yeah, where yeah, everyone's every, getting along everybody get along and so I was just like okay okay and and so basically I I gave them my you know, displayed for them what I was going to do and they accepted it and got me on the, you know, the episode and whatever. So I was figuring, right. okay, but then I don't know if the judges had seen any of the tape or not to like, you know, kind of write down ahead of time what they're going to say. So, um, yeah. So you don't or, know if your state was, if your fate was sealed going in. Yeah. I, I didn't yeah. know. And, and that, that was one of the things is sort of like, which you never know. And, and that's why you should just always do what you want because you always, especially with these showcases to get into festivals or get on TV shows, you always try to, you always try to guess what people want. Right. Right. And the more you try to guess what people want, you depart from what you would actually do. Usually, mm -hmm. you know, like you, like I can't do that joke cause I'm not going to be, you know, and whatever. And then you ask some, some agents advice or somebody who's in the business and what they think, like, what, right. help me shape my career, help me shape my set, what should I do? Yeah, I wouldn't do that joke because of this. It's like, that's the worst That's the worst thing to do. Right, so you sort of tailored your act for uh, what you thought they no, wanted no, you no. to do. No, I didn't. You just did I what didn't. you wanted to do. I did what do. I wanted okay. to do, which, I mean, for better or for worse, gave me at least the exposure and, and this moment right. that they interacted with. You know, like, I would have preferred almost it not happening in many ways, but I'm glad it did because, uh, I mean, here we are still talking about it and it was, you know, last year. And, uh, right, right. It was um, it was trending on Twitter. It was it was That's, trending. I mean, I, I kind of helped the, the trend and the hashtag and everybody would, you know. Yeah, and the hashtag, hashtag was go it. fuck yourself, Ben. Um, which uh, was extremely funny because that's what, okay, so you were doing your routine, what was it, three minutes, four minutes? Yeah, it was like four minutes, and I got, you know, I got maybe seven jokes out, but my opening bit was basically like I get up to the microphone, and I look through my notebook, and I look through my phone for a right. while, and then I say, what, like, you guys start working right when you get to your jobs, and then people laugh, and they, they laughed in that scenario, but the way that they edited it and, and kind of how they justified what Roseanne said was, when it came time to judge me, she was like, I think you wasted a lot of our time. Yeah. And I was like, well, I, I wish you would have given me a compliment before criticism. And then she's like, you're kind of arrogant. And I was like, oh, my, my, God. my mom always told me to be confident on stage. And she's, you know, just kept going back and forth. Right. And then Russell Peters may have said something to the effect of, yeah, well, I think it's, you know, um, you're kind of, it's like kind of gimmicky with the, the using the notebook. Russell like, Peters called you gimmicky? Exactly. And I said, I said, I'm The gimmicky. irony is, I, I'm perspirating yeah. from the irony of yeah, that right, statement. Right, The pot, the pot always calls the kettle ironic. And, uh, and so I was like, well, I'm, I'm, you know, 
this way i think this the 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 show is a gimmick right and then right. they they cut that part out they cut a lot of the exchange out so then yeah basically after i called the show gimmicky roseanne was like you know what go fuck yourself and then she also you know after i <laughs> left stage um, she flipped me off, and they cut that part out too. So they kind of removed. Right. She was she was more of the guardian of taste rather than the villainous person that she kind of was in that moment for and me. It, if you need any more of an indication about how reality television is completely insane, completely backwards, and nothing that you see is accurate, the fact that somehow Roseanne Barr was the voice of uh, class <laughs> and sanity is proof that they edited the hell out of that. Uh, I want to point out Ben did cough. He used the cough button, so you did not hear it, but I did just tell you that it happened. So yeah. I sort of yeah, yeah. defeated the purpose meta, of the meta, cough button. But it's still, it's still nice but to it, be able to like be a monkey about it. You know? Yeah, it's okay. cool. I did it, I did it, I did it. Yeah, Give did me it. my banana. Give you want a banana? banana. I got a banana. banana. <laughs> mm. uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, so it's crazy. So Roseanne just acted like a total monster, and they made you to look like an idiot. Did you get any, um, I mean, obviously, at that point, you must have had thoughts that, you know, you totally screwed up. Your career is over because, you know, we're, comedians are very dramatic about every little thing. A bad show would be like, it's all done. And everyone, no one knows. Yeah. Um, but then you were able to actually, how long did it take you to mentally get to the place where you're just like, I'm going to have to own it and uh, get this go fuck yourself, Ben, hashtag trending. And how did you change it into a positive? Because that's what you have to do to succeed. Every successful person takes a negative and makes it a positive. Well, I think it like taped in March and then aired in June or something like that, and maybe late May or something. Or taped well, either way. It, there was like a three month gap between when it shot and when it taped. So I kind of had this sort of gestation period of like, I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder if they're going to show that. If they do, I want to make like a meme or something that right. has Roseanne telling me to go fuck myself. And then, you know, it 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 finally happened. I was I was in the. Um, I was in the green room at Comedy Works, the comedy club in Denver that I kind of came up in, mm -hmm. um, that now, uh, uh, you know, pleasantly uh, rejects me and my successes. Uh, uh, you don't work there anymore? I, I occasionally get a guest set, but I don't get the uh, the love that I, I would kind of hope for, for being like, oh, this is my alma mater. This is where I came up. And blah, what blah, happened? Blah, so it doesn't happen. Okay, I'll, talking I'll, to I'll the no, no, nothing. Nothing. I I moved away. It's a yeah. loyalty issue. I oh, think. I see. And sort of like a message to local comics: like if you move away, you're going to not get the opportunities. But if you stay here at at Mama's house forever, <laughs> yeah. if you stay at Mama's house, well, guess what? Guess what? You'll get all the you get all yeah. the steak. You get all the everything. Mm, do you, you want to free peak young? And have, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's like. But but so, you so, know, anyway, so I was I was in the green I was in the green room. room yeah. Ron Funches was headlining, and I uh, they they had this huge TV in there, and we we turned it on, and I I got to see that moment, and they actually used it, and then I was like, kind of re piecing together the things that happened that they didn't show, and I was like, oh, this is interesting, and right. So then this other guy, um, Ari Teeman, who uh, who's a comedian here in New York, and also very you know like into. Um, other other things outside of comedy and like promoting and doing doing different things. He, well, Ari got famous, or he got you got a little heat because uh, he wrote a story about Airbnb. Uh, his, that's the guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Who yeah. then his uh, he rented out his room for Airbnb. The people came over. They had a huge sex party. He wrote a blog about it, and he got a little heat for it. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it, it's so there's there's those things that like um, so then he basically helped me because he I just encountered him at that time, and he's like, you should do a you know, we should do a hashtag 
and um, he helped me start the hashtag and then we got the hashtag kind of turned into people submitting videos and memes and pictures right. and like and we use this uh, rebel rebel mouse um, I think it's called rebel mouse but it's basically an aggregator so all the hashtags that would be from um, Facebook Twitter Instagram mm-hmm. etc kind of all go on this rebel rebel mouse it's like a little confederate mouse yeah what's this rebel mouse all about it's just uh it's just a another you know use for marketing and and Uh to locate things so you can like here here's the here's the conglomerate of hashtags and attention that this thing got right right um and so that that happened and you know i got some you know todd berry made one and i had some other you know friends you had some big names on it i had some big uh, big names. We do got it celebs. You you have my, a lot of my celebrity mom friends. did one. I had people's dogs do one. I had pets do one. I had kids do one. I didn't yeah. have any retarded people doing that. That that would have been nice. You have uh, to hit the would, cough button when uh, you say. I'm sorry. Yeah, people and uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> or people with death. Drum and uh, <laughs> very good. Uh, You're a pro. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you know, it, it was a fun thing, and it actually helped. Like I think I booked a gig in Toronto because of it, and right. I kind of got comedians that knew me. It kind of helped helped me be a um, not a martyr per se. Did it but give a, you a thicker skin? You know, because a these little thi- bit for for the for the bullshit that that happens in in comedy. It's right. just I mean it's it's moment by moment because I got you know heckled at the Laughing Devil the other night, and it was just right. I was like I couldn't I couldn't bring it in back to where I could usually you know, control the audience or the mm. situation. And that made me feel the like, the oh, you know, just in my my head for the right. next couple of days. And- Laughing Devil is a great comedy club here in Long Island City. Uh, not here in Long Island City because we are in Manhattan, but it is in Long Island City. Which so is in Queens, which but, is it, but it's a more accessible, slightly more accessible part than right. the other part of Queens. So how did this change then your, because, you know, it's sort of like the first time you have a girlfriend and, uh, you know, she cheats on you. From there on, you sort of have a more suspicious eye um, when it comes down to all future relationships. Was this the first time that comedy came and just sort of completely screwed you over? You know, because we love comedy. It's mm-hmm. what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but they definitely manipulated you, and they made you look like a jerk off. And I mean, obviously, you were able to harness it and turn it into something positive. But are, what are your thoughts now on the uh, on the industry? Are you have you been hardened? Have I been hardened? I mean, I it's like moment by moment, and really builds like each each thing is different. Like you know, kind of the the rejection that I feel from the club that I started in to the you know the bookers that won't respond to my emails because they only want to deal with comedians who have agents. Right. Um, to the agent who I had that wouldn't respond positively to my emails and requests about even getting a feature gig because he, he only books headliners, not features. And right. Things, all, all those things, and they're, they're constantly happening. So I think you just have to be ready and, and you know, willing to deal with these constant rejections and fuck yous that happen because if you're if you're doing something you don't care about the fuck yous don't matter so when you right. find the fuck yous mattering that means you're kind of on the right track with doing something and you just kind of need to uh do a paradigm shift with how how you perceive things and mm-hmm. i think that's the you know i i think that's the takeaway but it, it's always it's always going to happen like oh really i could get i can get a comedy central half hour but my agent won't help me get into you know uh, whatever chuckle com- butts comedy over seller, in Tulsa. or, yeah, or yeah. even like anything and right and but but I also, you know, my current um, entertainment lawyer, uh, who's, a, who's a really great guy, um, uh, Jeff Cohen, who played uh, 
uh, Chunk in uh, Ah, very cool in uh, Goonies, right? But he he's now an entertainment lawyer, but a really I mean just a really good person, and I've I've yeah talked to him, and he he kind of you know when I didn't have any representation, he's like you know what your friends in this business mm-hmm. are the people that that you know that are making it and making stuff happen. Those are the people that are really gonna gonna help you out, right? And be your allies and be in your corner. He's like, because, you know, managers and agents will come and go. Right. They don't but, care. They don't care about you at all. But but the friends, they're, they're there, and that's, right. that's really happened. Like, I just went on this tour with Nick Thune and Kate Berlant because of, I didn't have an agent, but because of my buddy right. Nick, he wanted to be like, hey, let's let's do this tour together. Yeah, and it Kate, was like, Kate Berlant uh, is one of the most, ge- I love Kate Berlant. She's so funny and beautiful, and Nick Thune's incredible. Yeah, check out both of those people. Nick has a special on Netflix right now. If you haven't uh, checked that out, check it out for yep. sure. Um, that's the amazing thing about this business. You watch, you watch the Goonies as a child. You look at Chunk. He's doing the Chunky Shuffle. He's making his belly look all funny. And I was the only kid who was like, I want to be that one, you know. <laughs> um, and then he turns out to be your lawyer. That's the best thing about the and entertainment business. He's like in business. shape. He's like he's like he's not chunky anymore. He's like you know, great smile and right. you know, successful business. And, he's and, a handsome and a, man and a good guy. When and I got to meet, uh, I got guy. to meet my friend Danny Tamborelli, who was uh, Little Pete from Pete and Pete. Okay, it was like one of the, I don't know if. You remember that show? It wasn't on that yeah. long, but if you if you were exactly thirty three years old and you were born July twenty first, nineteen eighty one, you will love Pete and Pete. <laughs> um, and so it's like you're starstruck by these people that have such, you know, maybe not a large celebrity footprint, but for you, like yeah. Pete and Pete, that was my favorite show. And now to be friends with him Made is so great. I mean, I always liked Roseanne. I I, I like right. Roseanne and what she did in her show, and I, I liked her sass and her attitude. But when I was the on the opposite end of that sass, it was definitely like, oh, okay. Right. All right. But but we we've since actually, um, you know, I interacted with her recently on Twitter, and she did invite me to go on her show sometime April or May. That she's she's having a new show, uh, perhaps talk show or something that she's oh, doing. Oh, nice. And uh, she she re sort of uh, recanted her her remarks and said, "I checked you out after the show, and I you know I think you're right. I think you're funny and all those sorts of things." And so. You know, then she started following me on Twitter. And so it's like, okay. That's great. You know, and and it also speaks to the thing that, like, she was probably just also put in the position and prompted and pushed to create this controversy. She's like, the hey, Simon Cowell, right? Yeah, like, we need we need, we need, need somebody to, you know, this guy, this guy's our mark, you know? Right. And so it didn't matter that it, it was me per se. It was just, like, I was, with what I was doing, it made it easier to be, like, that's What do you think, what, right. what made, first of all, I want to say, all these... You know, people always talk about how kids are just constantly told yes and they get whatever they want. I think that's very true. Every kid should spend one year in the entertainment business just so they can get told a thousand times. And if they can still survive after that, then they're allowed to hang out. Other than that, just go back and become a car salesman. Because <laughs> um, this business makes you, you got to th- get a thick skin very quickly and understand that no is really the uh, the word that's always in vogue. You well, know? yeah, and, and the more the more no's you get or the more whatever's you have like that, the more rejections, the, the, you're really on the right track because, you know, failure right. is a big part of, of success. success. Right. It's like you can't, you can't get it without it and otherwise... Did you ask Roseanne what happened to first the to the first Becky? I didn't. I didn't. You ask know, that, her this is one of the Becky. questions I've always had. Her name was Becky, right? The older daughter on Roseanne, and they just switched her. 
Halfway through the series, new Becky is in there. Old Becky is gone like she never existed. It was phenomenal. Never once addressed. I've never heard Roseanne talk about it, and I demand an answer. Next time you tweet with her, can you please tell her, Ben Kissel wants to know, where is the body of the first Becky? She's under the floorboards. She's been murdered by the Illuminati. Yeah, we can talk I, about I, it. I think that's I think that's a pretty uh I think that's a good guess. It's a good guess. It's a it's it's an accurate guess. <laughs> the first Becky was murdered because she knew too much. Yeah. It's very interesting. Would you go back and would you allow uh yourself to be on another reality show? As a person who is sort of a I'm I'm beginning to realize in my life that I am actually a bit of a control freak. Um, which is probably why I like to host everything. Are you Aquarius? Um, no, I'm a Cancer You're Leo cancer. cusp. Oh, okay. I'm a July 21st. I think 20 seconds the cutoff, so I think oh, my, technically I'm a Cancer Leo cusp. My stepmom and, and nephew are July 21st. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, so is um, John Lovett. Okay. John Lovett and the late uh, Edward Merman? Merman? Edward R. Murrow? No, no, the big tall guy. who is He just died. Died real poor. Edward something. Maybe we can find. Well, oh, you know, the first audition for Last Comic Standing that I did was at John Lovett's Comedy Club in uh, in beautiful it, Los Angeles, California. Burbank, I just yeah. I performed there, and it is in the middle of this like you know entertainment, uh, you know, capital of the world for families. Very, very bizarre little area. Uh, yeah, they got but they got a Taco Bell in there. They they, cause mm-hmm. they have like the 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 different stages of like restaurants that you could maybe afford. They have like the Johnny Rockets, they right, have the right. Tony Romas, and then they have like maybe something a little bit nicer than that or the the Mexican place that isn't so good but kind of right. expensive. But then up top they have a food court that has a Taco Bell, which I had some Taco Bell. If you're, you know, I think it's in Universal Studios, that? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if so, if you're City a, Walk, it's Universal Studios. City Walk, City Walk, Universal Studios. Go there, check out John Lovett's Comedy Club. It's so funny because that's the place where he's a god. So there's just huge pictures of him hanging all over the wall. It's just surreal to be inside of, you know, the place that honors love it. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. very, very interesting. Yeah. It's kind of nice that those places exist. Though. Oh, I love you it. You know, it's kind of comforting, you know. Yeah, it, it is. A, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's beautiful. Um, so do you think that you were targeted because of your style of comedy? Because you do a, a bit of a slower-paced comedy a lot of times. Um, very, very amazing joke writer. Quick jokes. Um, I would actually think, ironically, that would play perfectly for a small, the small attention span on people when they watch on television. Well, they the thing was with with the act that I did with that first bit, um, where I don't say anything. I did a bunch of jokes. I did a number of jokes after that bit, but those got cut because it was all focused. You know, in the edit, it was all focused right. on my opening bit of silence and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've done I've done late night. I think. I've been able to maybe break into the late night circuit somewhat because of my short jokes, right? You know, and that kind of helps me put it out there. But that's still, you know, it doesn't always work. Like I've, you know, submitted to, been submitting to to Conan Booker for quite a while, and mm-hmm. to no avail, and other other things. I was gonna, you know, sub- submitting to Letterman. They had new bookers after the Eddie Brill thing happened, and right. all, all those stuff, and. You know, still haven't been able to make those things happen, but it's just sort of like just keep putting it out there yeah. until somebody. But then, what does it really matter? It, it hasn't, you know, didn't really garner me an agent after any given time. Right, right. Like I got a writing agent after I did Kimmel, which was my first late night set. But I wasn't even into being a writer. I wanted to just be do comedy and perform. Right. But but then I was like, here, make this writing packet, do this writing submission packet, mm. and I wanted to take the opportunity. But I never. 
It's just like no. things, things don't equal what you think they're going to equal. No, but. writing packets are the biggest pain in the ass that's ever existed in entertainment. Nobody reads them. There is no way. And people that do read them, they already know who they're going to pick anyway. Yeah. You know, it's all, it's insane. But you mentioned Eddie Brill. Eddie Brill was the former booker for The Letterman Show. He was the booker for, what, I think 30 years. I mean, mm-hmm. it was an insane amount of time for this one person to be the gatekeeper of The Letterman Show. And he got fired, now this is about three years ago, maybe four years ago, because he said women aren't funny. And in like an interview or talking, right? Like, so right. He got and, caught saying that. Like it, it, that, that said a lot, but he right. got caught. And it's only a big deal. Well, first of all, women are, people. if you're funny, you're funny, number one. Um, but it was a big deal because Letterman also, then they looked at the track record, not exactly an amazing place for women to go and perform stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was also on the heels of Letterman's scandal where he was banging all the interns. Mm-hmm. So the women weren't exactly wet yeah dude oh man i know i don't want to think about letterman doing anything sexually whatsoever hey yeah like got yeah any, got he, any gum? he seems like he like would only ever get blowjobs like he doesn't have sex he just sits there smokes a cigar and gets a blowjob yeah <laughs> it's like, pretty cool yeah <laughs> that is how you should do it that, that's just what it seems like he would do yeah did you think uh did you think that was a worthy thing do you think that was you know i mean especially now with so, uh with social media which you're very very good at using and again, like turning that, uh, you know, go fuck yourself, Ben hashtag, which was brilliant. Um, what do you think about its impact on comedy right now, for better or for worse? Um, it's bringing to light some issues that otherwise are sort of swept under the rug, like women in comedy. You know, there was the uh, unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, that show, which I haven't seen. I heard it's amazing, but people have called it racist for, you know, whatever reason. Uh-huh. And I don't think that would get any traction whatsoever other than the Internet. The, the Internet's the only place talking about it like that. Um, how do you think it's hurt comedy, number one, and then also how has it helped? Um, just just your ability to get everything out there via social media. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's it's hurt. It's It's perhaps threatening in that way that, you know, when you put your ideas out there, they're there for anybody to see. And, you know, say if you're a comedian, whatever, people might, you know, be following you for your comedy, but it might be other comedians following you. And then right. the sort of just natural absorption or even intentional, like there's, it's been, it's happened where, hey, this guy's tweeting this guy's tweets, but like all of them or something yes. like doing it verbatim and well there was not, a, not just not just like assimilation but right. like actual uh uh what do you call uh co-opting taking co-opting, ideas i mean you know there uh, are only so plagiarism. many plagiarism right plagiarism so, the, so you got the plagiarism fact that's there but um and also just the psychosis that comes along with social media that's like uh I don't have that many followers or nobody retweeted this great idea that I have or, right. you know, it just kind of increases and, you know, exponentially the, the self-consciousness and self-awareness of one's own um, stuff. But I think the the good part is also, is also with that, that like it keeps the, it keeps the mind moving. It keeps the ideas coming out and, you know, how much do you actually think comedians steal from other comedians when it comes to Twitter? Because I mean, a lot of ideas are not, 
exclusive to your brain, right? Yeah, These, yeah. You, people yeah. are walking around the exact same uh, statues. They're, they're, they're living a very similar experience to some degree. So naturally, you're going to have an overlap in ideas. One of my favorite things to watch is when comedians will freak out that another comedian stole some lame dick joke that he had tweeted out or she had tweeted out, and they just freak out on the person, turns yep. into a flame war on Twitter. Yep. It's one of the more interesting uh, experiments. What is your? Uh, do you think that people actively steal jokes or do you think it's more of an unintentional outcome especially amongst comedians because we're around comedy so much that occasionally it just seeps into your brain i think it's both i think um you know two examples that that happened to me one i i tweeted one time and it got it got a number of 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 retweets and actually recently too um uh one thing but but one tweet that i tweeted one time was uh 711 is an inside job yeah yeah and um it got a lot of you know got a lot of attention but then i see that down the line by another comedian um and they they put that you know they they tweeted that like definitely after i had tweeted mine that had whatever right um but i i chose not to i chose not to um police that because it was like well what am I? What are really you gonna, gonna do? do? And what then am what, I gonna do? And then right. it's gonna be like I'm. I care about those things, and I can, you know, I, you know, I have a rap song where I have that lyric in it, and it's like I'm. I'll still do that. Like I'm just gonna let it coexist until the, the real comedy police call us out or call the whole thing out. And the real comedy um, police is Roseanne Barr. Is Ro- Roseanne and uh, and other comedy fans. Um, but there was another uh, joke that I tweeted that. You know, hard to say if I hadn't tweeted it, would they have come up with this thing? But on the Kroll show, um, uh, they basically did my joke within a thing, uh, the the tuna sketch, Mm -hmm. too much tuna sketch that they do, um, where um, they basically said, the the doctor said you have, uh, um, you know, Mercury's, like Freddie Mercury's poisoning. Right. Um, But, you know, I had a... I had a, a joke that I tweeted um, because I think it was also an AIDS joke. I said, I said, uh, um, I don't think we should call it AIDS anymore. I think we should call it Freddie Mercury poisoning. Yeah, yeah. So that was the joke. Right. And then this joke sort of wound up in the sketch. Right. And, and, and to me, that's sort of like, well, maybe, maybe one of the writers there, you know, Maybe they came up with that. Right. It's quite possible, but maybe they're also following me on Twitter and saw that. Maybe and and absorbed, or maybe they, you know, I don't know. I mean, and there's really no proactive thing that you can possibly do because now you're just a person, you're small potatoes, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you know. Uh, they stole my idea. Yeah, yeah, now you're just like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. sorry, yeah, yeah. bitter comedian. Yeah, they didn't yeah. steal your idea. Obviously, Nick Kroll came up with that himself mm-hmm. because he is on TV and he is a very talented actor. Yep. yep. Benefit of the doubt. July 21st, my birthday. Also, the man I was trying to think of earlier, I found it. Edward Herman. Herman. <laughs> Edward Herman. He was the father from Gilmore Girls. Love that big monster. He was 6'7. Oh, wow. Anyway. How tall are you? 6'7. Six, six, seven. Seven. I'm her- I'm the Herman. You got you are the Herman. Yeah, um, right. So you thought that they might have stolen your joke on. Uh, on I the mean, Kroll it show. just whether you know it just brings that to your mind of like that sort of like well, you know, you put ideas out here on Twitter, and they're they're out in the ether. Can you to, trademark to, them? Put the little TM by them. I should do, do that. that. I should totally tra- trademark them. You know, you should. Sc- I screenshot them. 
Good. Uh, just to date stamp them. Um, <laughs> I file them away in a separate folder on my computer. It's actually a separate computer right. with a separate folder. That's great. Um, keep, them, keep them on a backup hard drive. Multiple hard drives, multiple zip drives. What are they for? NSA intelligence? A whole bunch of different information about the... Uh, Iran? No, no. It's Ben Cronenberg's tweets. It's my tweets. It's the, it's the funny uh, tweets. I'm trying to protect. How is it? How has it helped comedy? Um, well, I think. I mean, I think it's just helped. And right now, I don't have an agent. And basically, the main way that I'm getting gigs right now is by connecting and corresponding with people on Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. Um, and that sort of d- directional thing of like mm-hmm. people contacting me, like I. When I got on Carson Daly, which wasn't the most prestigious late night talk show to be performing it's on. It's the best talk show that starts at 3 a.m. Right? It is and, the best. And so one day I was living in L.A. and I got a Facebook message from the booker said, hey, we had somebody drop out. Can you do tonight? And right. to me, that was like, well, would, they have, would that have happened without Facebook? Like they were easily able to find me on right. Facebook. If if I wasn't on Facebook, they probably would have found somebody else that was on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I went to Hawaii and Korea this last year, and just because of correspondence and me noticing, oh, this guy followed me from, you know, he's a comedian from Hawaii. Let's talk to him. Hey, I'd like to go to, Boom. I'd like to go to Hawaii yeah. sometime. He's like, all right, and you know, it took about six months to gestate, but then I got that gig. And well, so- the degree of separation between people has never been less, which is also why agents and managers are sort of scrambling to define their position and define their role in the business, right? Because theoretically, yeah. you don't really need anybody any longer. You're a you're a tweet away from talking to Darius John Lovett. To, yeah, how about they just take us out to lunch every now and again? A lunch <laughs> just, would be just good. Cover lunch. Yeah, that's get, all that matters. Um, get that uh, get that tuna sandwich at lunch, and then make your Freddie Mercury poisoning joke again. He gets a big laugh. Uh-huh. They think it's yours. You have a show on Comedy you know, I Central. Saw, I saw Boom that on Comedy Central. Yeah, well. Yeah, well. I came up with it on Twitter. I'm the Tesla to to fucking their Edison's fucking stolen fucking light bulb. That's what people say about you, Ben. Everyone says Ben is the Tesla to their stolen Edison idea. Yep. Everyone is stealing from you. I I know it to be true. You're from Colorado? (laughs) Yeah. Is that right? Now, obviously, there's a bunch of legal weed over there and whatnot. People are loving it. It's the most legal, bro. It's the 100% most legal. A lot of cops on the outside of Colorado are extremely confused because they're pulling over a lot of people who have a bunch of drugs, and those people are going to jail for a long time because they don't understand how state lines work. But uh, that's yeah. one of the problems. But they'll get that figured out. Everyone should just legalize marijuana. It's pretty, pretty obvious at this point because Colorado is making bank money. Yeah, and uh, they actually got a tax return. All the citizens for I think it was seven dollars and sixty three cents. Um, that's how much money they've made. That everybody got seven bucks, which is a lot of money for you can get a little subway sandwich, and that you is. can even get the meal. You can, yeah, you could totally get the meal, which is great. Um, do you go back to Colorado a lot? Did you like growing up there? I do. I, I go back there a lot, and you know, luckily, I've been able to. Um, yeah, I spent thirty years of my my damn life there. Right. Um, and what so, did your folks do when you were down there? Was it a nice, uh, good upbringing? A lot of money. It was money? pretty good. My yeah. my. Uh, I mean, it was it was middle class. I, uh, you know, my dad had his own business, buying and selling, repairing medical equipment. My mom was Ooh, more he of the stay at home mom, but then yeah. my parents got divorced in when I was in fourth grade, and so then my mom started working for lawyers. Um, yeah, in the court system and stuff like that, and then my dad ended up moving to Las Vegas and sort of, um, I mean, he lived in Colorado for a while, but uh, yeah. So I mean, I had I had some a good upbringing, but also a little bit of uh, you know school of hard knocks mixed in there. You know, not the hardest of knocks, but 
No, the hard divorce sucks. Fourth yeah. grade is a shitty time to have your parents get divorced too. Hard enough knocks too. I think I'm you know one of the things I think between my parents' divorce and nine eleven. That's what those those are the the events that kind of brought me to comedy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I suppose somewhere in between, like yeah, nine like, eleven and your parents mo- getting divorced. Most, yeah, most people's experiences are in between divorce and nine eleven. Yeah, like absolutely, that, it's that spectrum. Right. Was it a really life experience? Was it a terrible divorce? Because I'm watching this documentary, The Jinx, about Robert Durst. He murdered his wife, and he murdered a lot of other people too. Um, but uh, that was a very tumultuous relationship. Was it like a norm? Was it a, a, a what's the word I'm looking for? Accountable? 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 Mm, I lost it. Um, a peaceful situation, or was it like blowout, knockdown, drag out court stuff? I mean, I I don't think it was too too knockdown, drag out, but it was you know, I mean they had been married for like eighteen years. Yeah. So I think it was just time, it, like it it run its course. I think like right, right. You know, that's the thing that marriage and this idea of forever doesn't allow for is is the natural running of 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 things course. You know, you don't. You don't have. We apply these romantic ideals and expectations to these things that are still subject to the same things that everything else is, right? Right. Like, uh, Except for the Twinkie. Yeah. That never that never dies. Yeah. Although I think that's a myth that doesn't it doesn't go bad, but uh, nonetheless, I'm sticking yeah. with that theory. Yeah. I mean, even canned food will eventually go bad. Mm, don't tell me that. I've got a bunch of it. I'm saving up right now. You got you got a castle of Hormel. I'm buying it for two ninety nine, but I know that price is gonna go only up, my friend. <laughs> Some people do cash for gold. I do cash for cans. <laughs> I'm doing. I got not. I got. I have eighteen chicken noodles right now. I eat them sometimes when I'm drunk, and oh, that takes nice. into my profits. Oh, that's nice. uh, my future profits, of course. Uh-huh. But definitely getting that can business because you never know when the world turns apocalyptic. People yeah. are gonna come running, yeah. and I ain't gonna give them nothing. That's the truth. That's right. So it wasn't the worst situation ever. I mean, for me, it, it kind of stunk because it was like, oh, now what? You know, it kind of gave me that that harsh reality of like, oh, things are not as they seem. But I think right. that that triggers the thing in the, in the mind to be not taking things for granted. And you just like, yeah, you just have to move forward. Were you a funny kid or a quiet kid? Um I was funny enough, but I have my quiet moments. I'm a Pisces, so I definitely have the interest. <laughs> I have the introspection. But uh, February twenty first, I'm February twenty. Oh, okay. You know, so nice. I'm at twenty one. Mm. If you're into numerology, the twenty one, and the, also the cusp is sort of like its own unique sign, and blah blah. blah. Edward Herman, the father from Gilmore Girls, July twenty first. So <laughs> think about that. That's that's very interesting. <laughs> you know. Um, I always wanted my parents to get, uh, to get divorced. I don't know. They never really fought, but I just didn't like my dad. And I was just like, Mom, divorce my dad. But she never would. And they're still together to this day. I've been celibate for three months. I'm not having sex with anybody. And it's not because they don't want to have sex with me. Um, it is. But nonetheless, uh, did the divorce, has that, has that gone into your, uh, into your dating life? Has that, has that an effect? Like the idea of getting married, is that just completely out the window? Because I'm not sure how I feel like... I had big expectations that you find a girlfriend and then you are just supposed to be with them forever. So when I shattered that multiple, multiple times, I don't know what I'm thinking as far as relationships. Are they possible? I mean, I think relationships are possible. I think we, uh, the old ways of doing things are sort of, um, even though we're evolving out of them, there's still the the thing that makes us keep doing them. You know, like the the formalities and the uh, the traditions. I think. Yeah. Sometimes traditions stick a lot longer than, um, stick around longer than than what actually is happening behind the scenes or with people's relationships. Like the fact that 
the statistic of of maybe fifty percent or sixty percent of marriages end in divorce. Yeah, I think it's more um, than that the, now. The true, yeah. So the the real algorithm or whatever behind being married is is revealing a, a truth beyond what people are trying to like. We're still saying our vows that say we're going to be together forever, which right. is really just truly making like like liars and deniers out of people, as opposed to like yeah, we're we're. I'm going to be the one to do it. You know, it's like. Right, right. And so. So you would say like, uh, you know, let's just do this for 20 years. And at 20 years, we'll, let's re, uh, we'll reassess and see if we want to continue well, on. Well, and like even marriage, like to me, once you, I like, I like staying with somebody. I like crap, like staying with a girl, but living with them, I don't like. And. What's the worst thing about living with a girl? Uh, the politics, just the. You the know, politics. Then you start, well, yeah, just you start thinking about money, the relationship in terms of money and whose space is what and all that sort of thing. Um, oh, okay. You really get, you really, uh, whenever you're Gaza strip it. Huh? Uh, yeah. I've, I've dated, a, I've dated a Jew before. So oh, yeah. That's basic, all I did. basically, uh, you know, I think staying with somebody, you still have the, the, the idea of ho- hospitality is still in effect, but when sure. you're living with somebody that ho- there is no hospitality, it seems like it's a war zone for you. There's you're- no hospitality. Uh, why you, I've lived with I've, li- I've lived with three girlfriends. Oh, that's uh, way too one, many. One Virgo, two Scorpio. Uh huh. Um, All Jewish. I, I was able to no. I was able to live with the, the Virgo pr- for probably the longest, and that was it was, it was my longest relationship as well. But um, it, it's just when you're sharing space with somebody, it, it's like you know people don't really truly want to share their space. That's why like dudes have to have garages and basements and whatnot. But in New York, we don't have that luxury. We don't have that luxury. We have a bathroom. So so you have a, you have close quarters and you have a coffee shop down the way. But if you're living Mm. with somebody, chances are you're living in a one bedroom or a studio, but a one bedroom isn't even enough space or like, why did you go in that room? Like it, it doesn't matter. I think having your own private space is essential, but like not necessarily, you know, like I travel a lot now. So right. You know, the girl that I'm dating, I, I, you know, kind of stay with her when I'm here, but then I leave yeah. and I'm hotels and crashing on couches. And it's it's actually quite nice because I experience hospitality more than I do the hostility of, like, cohabitating and being, like, in that pressure cooker that just really makes you want to yeah. kill yourself. Yeah, I mean, the way you describe it, I would say just don't move in with another girl ever again. I mean, you described it like... Uh like, I, the, but, like the bomb that blew it, up the Boston Marathon. Do you not witness that with anybody that you go over to their place where they're married or whatever? Just that sort of incessant bickering that happens that like like just the passive aggressiveness. Like I, I don't, oh, I don't yeah, know yeah. any relationship that doesn't have these things as the normal part of their communication that really just makes me nauseated. Right, right, right. And I don't I, I would I'd rather just have fun with life and enjoy moments and relationships and yeah. not, not apply like th- this thing of like, Richard, you said we were gonna Look, you need to be home by, but I thought, you know what, you, you should put the cottage cheese here. Or like, right, why right, didn't you right. make the bed before you would? It's like all these things that don't matter. Everybody knows now the cottage matters. cheese. Everybody knows the cottage cheese goes in the microwave when I'm drunk <laughs> at four o'clock in the morning. I don't know, Becky. I don't know why the cottage cheese is half eaten and the cover is replaced with the mayonnaise cover, and on the mayonnaise cover is the cottage cheese cover. I was double dipping. Yeah. That's could, pro- that's very true. Exactly. You know, I love that. Yeah. I lived with one girl one time, and I haven't done it again. I think I could possibly do it in the in the future. But you're right; it is extremely difficult to avoid um, getting into that constant conflict. So you like the oh. idea of small spurts of good relationship, and but you don't like the idea of it going for a uh, a long term. Does it make it a little bit more shallow then? Um, 
I, I mean, mean I, I think as a society, we're a little bit more shallow than we ever have been before anyway, right? Everything is a little bit more on surface because everyone's constantly on camera now. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you could you could maybe say shallow, but I, I would say like, uh, you know, keeping things light is important, and we we forget in in relationships and other things. Like I was doing my taxes this morning, and it's so hard to keep things light in your brain when you're trying to figure stuff out and trying to not like lose money and blah blah blah. Dude, I am things. so and bad at taxes. Like, it's just like you want to. You know, if that's what it means to stay on the, you know, to get into some, uh, we all have histories and it's hard to, you know, we all have issues and the closer you are with somebody, the more you will experience and absorb and they will give you their issues. And, and so what's the last one you give them, you know, because if you're on a first date and you go through your worst traits, no one's going to love you. So you got to start high, yeah. you know, and be like, I'm a funny guy, charming guy, you know, yeah. you know, get all this stuff going on. But what's the one big reveal that once they know this part of you, you know, then they're just like, oh, my God, this this can't happen or um, you know, or they embrace it. Yeah, I don't want kids. Uh, Never want the kids. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't I wait to have kids. I mean, I like yeah. I like kids. I like the idea of kids. I have nephews. I right. love leaving it in, but I don't want kids. <laughs> and that can be a deal breaker. I, it, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it. It kind of is what you know. Most of my relationships, it, it sort of ended. Um, you know, or it was one of the things that sort of uh, sparked the end. Was was that reality? Is like, I, well, I want you to commit to this thing. You know, do you eventually want kids? And to say you eventually want to do something is sort of this unrealistic thing it's yeah. an unfair thing to, to to ask somebody is like what are you going to want in the future it's like y you know for as much therapy as you go to you don't live in the fucking moment right right you know like that's not living in the moment like saying saying you know what are you going to want you don't yeah. know i mean and it, is, it is a bizarre proposition you know do you want to have let's have that thing that ruins my current beautiful body and takes all your money yeah like it's a tough sell <laughs> You know, the I mean, I like the idea a little bit. I've flown on too many planes um, with kids behind me. I've, they go I've crazy. Uh, you know, daycare. The people that I know with kids, they have to then hire, you know, uh, nannies, nannies. The whole thing. You got to have a nanny. You got to have a this or that. It's like, oh really? Oh, uh, okay. And then you're gonna get mad at the nanny for not 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 spending enough time with your child in the right way. Oh really? Right. You hired a nanny. Because you can't spend time with your kid, and right. now you judge the nanny for what the nanny isn't able to do for your kid, you fucking hypocrite. We got hypocrite alert. Let's do it. We wah, got one. Wah, wah. Uh, Are you a hypocrite? <laughs> we're all hypocrites to some degree. The no kids, though. I mean, but the idea, so, I mean, I guess the idea of having a child, right, was to continue on your bloodline, continue on your existence, really. But I, it's nowadays. Ego. It's ego based. So right. much of it is ego based, and how, how ego is based, bred in biology is sort of like, the, I need my. Gotta get my seed. I need my son and my grandson and my daughter right. and my granddaughter. But now with your with your uh, legacy of Twitter and things like that, yeah, I, mean, I have it ideas does, out there. Right. I have those products, are your children. I have web series that I've made. That <laughs> right. Do those you are think my children. Your, do you think on your deathbed you're gonna like have a sad uh, Scrooge McDuck moment where you're like, <laughs> it's all nothing, it's all nothing. I don't have any children. Or do you think that might end up being a possible regret? Because usually. That is the regret of somebody's life, the one thing that they were, like, stuck to their guns about, the one thing they were adamant about, you know? Mm, I mean, yeah, maybe, but I I mean, I I enjoy kids. I enjoy spending time with kids. Um, 
Uh, okay, let's I, isolate that audio. <laughs> I worked at future, I worked uh, at a before and after school program in high school. I really, you know, I have great nephews. I would, if if down the line I was in a position of being more settled down and more yeah. domestic, I would I would far more consider just uh, spending you know more time with other children that are in, in my proximity of like, you know, nephews or family or blah blah right. blah or grandchildren of other people. Or um adopting. Like I'm I'm fine with that idea. Like I don't I don't have this need to deposit my seed. I don't have a thing yeah. right now that sure. has that. And I don't know I don't know why. But I'm like, you know, I, I have friends that have kids and they really have to especially comedians that have kids, they really right. have to compromise or not move to New York or L.A. or Well, not- they can stay in Colorado, work at the Comedy Works, they can do get that. stoned, they and, can do uh, that. you know, have no career. They can do that. Although, I mean, I you know, I know, I know successful comedians with, with kids, but they also have other things that they're doing and dealing with. But it's Well, you still- have to be certain, you have to have a certain amount of, uh, you have to be established to some degree before you can have a kid, right? And yeah, that's yeah, a long- yeah, you can't be, you know, currently like embarking or starting out and right. that that makes it really tough. Or or if your kid is older, you know, if there's people that have older kids that sure. it's allowable, but to have one in, 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 the, in the thick of, uh, in the thick of trying to make it happen or, or pursue your career is, is very difficult. Yeah, Plus, you, I don't want to be a neglectful father. I don't want to be somebody that can't be there because I'm always traveling. And right, right, right. And having that be another added tension, you know? Right, yeah. I mean, you never want to have, uh, you never want to be the, uh, the uh, as you were the target on Last Comic Standing, the target for your child's angst, you know? Yeah, Which yeah. is pretty much impossible for a father to avoid. I don't yeah, know how, my, I don't know any dad, dad that's ever it. done it. My, yeah, I have. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you hate your father. <laughs> you know, he, li- he moved down to Las Vegas. He's living that rock and roll poker lifestyle. Everybody knows it. He's known as, uh, you know, Club Cronenberg out there. Cronenberg. <laughs> He's always getting clubs <laughs> and hitting them. Uh, hitting the clubs. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's cool, man. I would. Uh, it is extremely difficult to uh, to do anything as far as having a uh, having a family. Every girl. Have you ever had a lady pull what happened to uh the Big Lebowski in the movie The Big Lebowski, Jeffrey Lebowski, when uh, when she tried to get pregnant with his uh, with his baby, unbeknownst to him, oh. and, he, and he scares in the life because I have been so fortunate to avoid, never had to go through an abortion, um, and it's been it's been very very lucky because, and I'm and I'm STD free. My my gay Irish doctor told me I was STD free, and he would know because. He's smart, and he's a doctor. <laughs> and he's Irish. And he's Irish. And he's lucky. Yeah, he is lucky. Loves my balls. Um. Well, yeah, I've, ne- I, I've never really had a pregnancy scare per se. Um, though I've, I've had a lot of, re- I've been in a lot of relationships. I, there hasn't been like a ton of, you know, a lot yeah. of promis- promiscuity in that area, though enough. But whenever it's, you know, I've I've definitely worn a condom whenever it's. You're a condom guy, huh? I'm not a condom guy. You're not, not a condom, condom guy. guy. I'm not a condom guy. But like, you wear it every now and again. I mean, in in, in the right situation, right? But, but um, you know, starting out, you know, just trying to be like, okay, you know, polite, polite. Yeah, put on the condom. Be polite in the beginning. If you're not gonna, you know, if you're not gonna be polite, you at least pull out. That's correct. Polite, pull out. That's perfect. That's all you got to remember. Polite, pull out. Somebody's now tweeting that, and I'm gonna be mad. Boom. That's absolutely correct. Who are your comedic inspirations? Who do you like the most? 
Mm, I mean, I like different comedians for many different reasons. I've always... Andrew Dice Clay was one of my favorite. The first, Dice Man. First out of the gate. Yeah, because he was like the... He kind of really... Him and Eddie Murphy kind of had right. this thing that was like bigger than comedy. Like I'd watched A&E's Evening at the Improv growing up and they were comedians and they were funny, but people that were like made me pay attention to comedy. Right. Um, Perfect. Were, were, uh, you know, those guys. The um, Dice Man. So what do you think about uh, Andrew Dice Clay? I mean, obviously, the biggest dude in the 80s, a complete character that he was playing. That movie Ford Fairlane is uh, exceptionally hilarious, and it holds up in a very bizarre kind of mm-hmm. Andrew Dice Clay kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about his fall? I mean, there is no room. There is no real Andrew Dice Clay type person out there right now uh, when it comes down to... Uh, when it comes down to the, uh, the the politics that are attached to that brand of comedy, yeah, yeah, there, yeah, there isn't anybody like him. There's nobody really doing those types of characters, though. Like, I mean, I see in 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 New York that you know some of the guys coming up that have these real kind of specific, you know, character acts. I think we're just getting, you know, different. Like uh, yeah. Joe Parra or Billy Princell have these very specific sort of vibes that they they put out there that are just kind of like to me kind of hark to that sort of thing you know they're a little they have a an actual thing and a character that 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 is right. happening is that good you know because i mean uh, nowadays i enjoy the, it you like yeah i, I mean, enjoy it i it love is, joe is for variety and billy's for, for, for variety you know right um but as far as the audience goes uh nowadays everybody wants to um you know, pretend like they're smarter than the performer in in front of them. So the por- performer is constantly having to prove their intelligence and to uh, you know and to prove the super- uh, their superiority in comedy and intellect and every other um, you know facet of life, except for relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, sometimes when you have an act that is you know obviously a little bit different than who the person truly is, the audience will smell it. They don't like it. And they they all think it's uh it's too shticky, which is sort of what happened to Dan Natterman, who was a very successful comedian. When mm-hmm. he went on Last Comic Standing, they treated him like he was garbage. And this man's a national headliner who has been all over the place. Yep. So with your comedy specifically, do you um do you want to strike a balance between like being who you really are and being open in that way, but also having your uh you know Ben Cronenberg character? Yeah, I mean a, a bit. I try to. I think explore it all. I mean, when I'm doing a showcase or a shorter set or trying to get on a TV show, I, I only show a certain part of what I do. But when I'm headlining or doing longer sets or in the city writing material and things like that, right. I think that's when I sort of explore and just kind of maybe even be myself more, talk more like I would talk, not right. just stick to jokes and silence, but actually having, you know, joke, silence, and commentary and moments where I'm not necessarily joking, but, like, trying to figure an idea out. And I I like being able to do that, and comedy in New York is allowed for, for that sort of thing to happen, mm-hmm. you know, just because there's always a show to try something the same or differently or yeah, whatever, and there's no... I mean, it's like all the comedians that have experienced their height in some way, from Chris Rock to even Louis C.K. right now... You know, some some have a more spiked, like obvious, like oh yeah, he's he's the hot guy right now. He's right. the hot guy right now. But then you have somebody like Jim Gaffigan, who's always been very popular, but he maybe hasn't had that same spike that like Louis had. Right, right, right. But but yet he is as 
you know, successful, essentially, and funny, and in the mix, and he's writing books, and he's doing he's all huge. these things. He's huge. He's a multimillionaire. He's huge, and, you know, my aunt always talks about Jim Gaffigan and how much she loves Jim Gaffigan and how she he's her favorite comic, and I'm like, but you're my godmother. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, but, but it's just like those things, but then my mom has no idea who Jim Gaffigan is, right? Right, right. But even at his height, uh, uh, Dave Chappelle, my mom had no idea who Dave Chappelle was, so she's really just out of the mix of... You know, it doesn't matter. It, yeah, it doesn't matter. And so you can be as big as you want. Like I saw somebody with like 20 million YouTube views the other day had never heard of them. So, right. So we're dealing with this big, large world of very specific consuming and, and, and attention and, you know, to be big in what way and to be. Yeah. It's like all the all these things that like can really be daunting. But it's just like, oh, I just want to, you know, I hope I can get a. $25 show tonight. Right, right. Know, I mean, or... comedy is hot right now. We we are sort of going through a 1980s style boom to some degree. It's not necessarily paying off financially, but in popularity, people really enjoy comedy Yeah, now. like co- podcasts and things like that, and right. Netflix and s- comedy specials are coming out like... They're popping, uh, they're popping comedy specials out like uh, Catholics do babies. Exactly, which is a good thing because uh, you know the more comedy out there, well, we can, well, people want it. You got to give it to them. Yeah, and it's definitely not bad. Like we were saying, Nick Thune, the fellow you just went on tour with, uh, has his Netflix um, album out, and a bunch of other friends of ours do as well. Yeah. Um, do you think? I mean, I I miss that though. I miss that staged th- uh, show, the theatrics of somebody like a Dice Man. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think Bill Burr is going to be the next one. Of course, he is the uh, the founder of all things comedy. Him and L uh, Magical. Um, oh, so is this is this affiliated with all? Is this an all things comedy? This thing? is all things comedy. Okay, yeah. a, of their affiliation. Yes. Okay, great. Yeah. yeah. No, I love I love this. Um, I think great. Bill Burr is going to be huge, but you don't really get that over the top uh, Andrew Dice Clay character anymore. You know, the leather jacket with the lights on the back of it. I mean, it was just a totally different time. I think, yeah. Um, you know, comedy is. Comedy has definitely, um, definitely changed the art. Of, people don't want to see the artifice anymore, or is that inaccurate? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I think there's, you know, people definitely prefer the the conversational and realism. Like, you know, in in the scope of the comedians that are out there today, there's definitely like kind of more story. It's like storytellers, joke tellers, and then maybe one liners. You know, like yeah. there's not like a ton of one liner comedians out there, or at least that are in the exposure. That sort of particular thing is like less common for right. whatever reason just because people have things that happen to them and they want to talk about them yeah because you have such quick jokes how many jokes if you're doing an hour set how many jokes are you actually telling in that hour um well like for for my half hour special where i can kind of count it with with how many i did for that uh i think i did about 40 jokes in 30 in, in 30 minutes right that, and that's for, a ton for, of jokes for, for a 30 minute thing yeah, so you know, I mean, it could be anywhere from depending on what happens, like sixty to eighty jokes. Right. So, uh, what is your uh, mental recipe for remembering that? Because that's not easy. I mean, Rodney Dangerfield, who also obviously did a lot of one-liners, would always say it's like a pearl necklace. Not when you come on the chick's neck, that is perverted, and that's not what he was talking about. Because Rodney Dangerfield, he was a gentleman, um, <laughs> but he was talking about how he just, you know, the, the strings together the pearls, and uh, that was how he mentally formed it in his head to remember what the what the bit was when i first started doing stand up that was the most difficult part was literally just remember if i can remember the joke it'll be okay yeah but actually getting up there and remembering these things that that's a 
that's one of the first hurdles you have to get over. Mm-hmm. What's your mental process when it comes to your jokes? Because they can be very random and sounding, seeming as well. Yeah, the, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I have clumps. I mean, it's just practicing different modes on stage. So I, I, you know, use my notebook a lot. So that kind of relieves me from a lot of that responsibility of remembering. Um, but when you know, when I'm doing a longer set where I'm not using my notebook, um, um, I have different modes. So I go over, you know, just sort of go through the jokes that I want to do. Whenever I try to remember the exact order of the jokes, that's creates a sort of stressful moment of these expectations of like not wanting, wanting to remember the thing and not wanting to forget the stuff and having those two thoughts be run concurrently in the brain can be very, uh, counterproductive when it right. comes to actually saying the jokes and especially saying them how you should say them. If you look like you're thinking, you're not being very funny. Yeah. Right. So, so you know, one thing I learned to do is allow myself to have silence and moments and use silence in those moments in my set to, like, not necessarily, uh, 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 but to just let whatever I just said sit and, and then to let me flow into another idea because right. all you have to really do is get to one more idea mm-hmm. if you think if you think about fuck i have a lot i have like you know 20 more jokes to do right right then that again inserts this sort of stressful activity in, into the process whereas all you have right. to really do is worrying worry about doing one more joke mm-hmm. so you just have to get to that next joke so right. um but i also have learned and practiced to um, listen to the other comedians that are on stage, and if they steal their jokes, n- not steal their jokes, yeah. but like they they say something about something, and let that spark one of my joke ideas, right, 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 one of the jokes, and then that can kind of help the the solidarity of a show with being totally. like, oh, Rebecca just talked about this, uh, how about this, right, and that that plants it a lot more firmly than a j- if I were to just have that joke, I want to do that joke. It's like this mm-hmm. person already said it, I'm going to bring it up, and it's just whatever. I mean, you mentioned sitting in the silence, and I think that's one of the last things that you learn as a comedian because that goes against every single thing that you're supposed to be doing up there, right? Yeah. You have this moment, you or you have this idea in your head that there should be wall-to-wall laughter at all times. But I'm thinking about it now. Silence is so important. I've been playing NBA Jam <laughs> on my iPad, and I'm the 1995 Knicks, and I'm John Starks and Patrick Ewing, and I am almost through my entire season. And I'm loving playing that game on my iPad because uh, – my, my hands are so big, but the iPad's kind of big, too. And so that's kind of fun. And I'm always dunking. And, and he's on fire, but then yeah. not really. The yeah. rim is on fire. If he was on fire, it would be a whole different game. Yep. Um, silence is when you don't use the boost in NBA Jam and you let that bar fill up. So then when you do hit it, those shoes turn red and you're at the free throw line and you're going in for an amazing dunk, yeah. right? Yeah. The silence is really the load up to yeah. you know the large laugh and you have to have that in order to get to your final uh you know in in, in a goal of getting a laugh yeah it helps uh, yeah it, you use to create anticipation um it, it's a very can be a very powerful thing right sometimes silence can uh you know leave room for too much room for the heckler to to show himself or herself usually um, you think women tend to heckle more than I men? Think, I think women are, are more heckly than, than men. Really? Why is that? I mean, I don't know. I think, you know, especially the drunk. It's the, oh, yeah. Not the, it's the drunk woman over the drunk man. But I think, um, uh, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I, 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 
Is it a is it a princess syndrome? Is it the fact that they're not getting the attention? You know, there was a study that came out recently that said men are actually more narcissistic than women, which uh, a lot of a lot of people seem to disagree with. Well, um, maybe when it comes to customer service scenarios, women are more apt to speak up and you know take care of business and things like that. Like I'm. I'm you know, perhaps be willing to bet that there was more, you know, negative Yelp reviews and criticizing Yelps by women than by men because yeah. I think women are just more aware of everything that's happening and if something isn't happening that it should be, they're like they wanna fix it. They want to make it right. There's just some sort of um something biological there that, that does that. So if they you know, but it but again if they see somebody that is uh saying something that they like or don't like they'll I think guys, girls will say more agreeable uh, heckles, like they'll try to help you right? or think they're helping you, whereas guys will try to be tougher and more contrarian about what you said. Like, So even if it's like a positive thing, you still consider it a heckle? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a disruption in, in, in the mode or the flow or a sideline or a tangent that like you have to go down and... Right, right, um, right. You know, if given permission, you know, if given permission to speak, the woman sure will. <laughs> um, as, I, I, as they should. Uh, not Maybe not in I'm a comedy not, situation. Look, I'm not a misogynist, even though I do think only women should give back rubs. I mean, I agree with that. Women and sumo wrestlers. I would love a good back rub from a sumo. You don't see it that. You don't see it enough. You don't think so, Mike? Well, I don't know what that means. I have All right. no idea what that means. That's fine. We got to wrap it up. Worst heckle you've ever had? Have you ever had a situation that made you want to go and it, honestly, sometimes, and I think every comedian thinks about it, just taking a machine gun and just shooting the audience. What was the situation in your life where you're just like, I will firebomb this entire place? Don't think I'm up here for my fun. I'm up here to straight up massacre all of you. Well, you know, recently actually, uh, I don't know if it was the worst heckle, but it was the worst situation that I didn't feel like I could get out of. And I was, I started out my set and got, got a couple laughs and was on my way doing jokes. But then somebody that had already been spoken to and with before spoke up, he was a British gentleman and he was there with a group of people. And that was mostly who was in the audience. Right. And so the it, had, British. it had to do, mm. it had to do with, uh, um, I think just the ratio of people that were on his side versus the rest of the audience. Right, and right. There was more people there with him, hence on his side, than there were other people in the audience. So you were outnumbered, which is not I, a good I, position. I was to outnumbered, be in. and I felt really, I felt really bullied. And you know, <laughs> my girlfriend was there watching this all go down, and and uh, I, you know, other comedians were there watching the show, and I felt this responsibility to be able to handle the situation, but. You know, the, nobody sounds cooler than a British person fucking being like, you know, that way. And, yeah. And just like, every, I mean, was, everything the, was the guy on fire? Everything. He, he was only on fire um, with his friends. Right. So, like, th- his friends would laugh at everything that he said. So it seemed as though he was on fire. Right. And, and they would laugh at nothing that I said to come back at him. Right, so that right. was this real like helpless moment that I felt that I was like, you know, and I, I was just very quiet after the thing. I didn't really want to just like complain about it. I just want I just knew I needed to absorb the that 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 moment and just deal with it. And um, but it was it was good. It was good that it happened because yeah. it sort of like 
resets the expectations and and makes you forces you to be like okay just got to do it again you know it's just sort of like you lose that first you lose that first fight you got to have the the second fight that's great and it's it's good your girlfriend was there to watch it so that reconfirmed her um her belief that you and her should never have children either (laughs) yeah Um, yeah. i don't want a spineless yeah, I can't <laughs> procreate with this weenie. Yeah, I want to go with this British guy. Oh my god! Yeah, you know, exactly. like, I totally felt like 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 worse than cuckolded, like cuckolded and <laughs> insulted. It's like no, I'm already being cuckolded oh, here. No. Yeah, and now and you're insulting me. It's well, like, theoretically, if you like to get cuckolded, you're, you're you're jacking off the whole time, right? Would you rather be cuckolded or cheated on? Okay, so cuckold. Let me get this right here. Uh, thank you for the question, Ben. I rarely get them. Um, I. I like that. Um, cuckold is when you're just in the room and you watch your significant, similar to what Bubba the Love Sponge, what he has with his wife when he pimps out his wife, and then Hulk Hogan uh, had sex with her there in the in the Hogan sex tape. Poor guy. We've talked about it far too much on this show. Um, he, oh, I'm so I gotta, fat. I got to check that. Dude, Hulk Hogan is a, he's really adorable. I'll send you the link. He's adorable. He ate too much that day, and he feels terrible. And he just gets a blowjob, very polite blowjob. Uh, but uh, that's what cuckolding is, right? So you're watching it, yeah, and then yeah. if you get cheated on, that woman just uh, has sex with a dude, and you're not there, right? So I'm going to say I'd prefer to watch it. You'd prefer to watch yeah, it. Yeah, I have a friend who is uh, constantly upset with his girlfriend who he loves, but if he thinks about her having sex with a bunch of dudes, and she probably did because she's a human being, he gets really upset. But I don't know what, what it is about me. I have no problem with the idea of dating somebody knowing that she banged a bunch of dudes. I think it's kind of hot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I like it because then it's just, you know, so I'm going to say if I have to choose, I would prefer to be in the room and be cuck- cuckolded um, <laughs> than be cheated on because at least, you know, I'm privy to the information and nobody has anything over me. OK. okay. Yourself? Um, I mean, it, it's a, it's a conundrum that I that I, you know, recently thought about or wrote down in a in a joke book somewhere. Um, I mean, I think I, I think it would all depend Though I think I think continuing the relationship might be easier finding out you were cheated on as opposed to witnessing something go down. Like I think that, yeah. that, that actually viewing the thing happening, you know, whereas you might even be able to be hot in a certain moment or sexy, it would be it would it would really disrupt the flow and progression of a relationship. Whereas like the sort of out of sight, out of mind scenario okay. of somebody cheating on you it's like well i think about it but i didn't have to see it so i don't have that sort of 9-11 happening over and over right 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 head. right you know what i'm saying yeah i mean it's very interesting which one is better or worse let us know on twitter you can find ben uh is it just ben cronberg it's at ben cronberg on twitter instagram and vine awesome check him out follow him follow mike coscarelli and of course i'm at ben kissel let us know what you think about the cock holding versus being cheated on and let us know what you think about um yelp reviews and gender uh, norms when it comes to that, and I'm also on this other this really great um, new app. Uh, it's called Meerkat. Meerkat, and it basically allows you to to do a live webcast from your phone. Okay, and it sends a link to Twitter, and so people I think have to have the app to to get to, it. to watch it. Okay, but they can get the link, and it's just really quick. You sign up with Twitter, so it's it's a very quick process. Right. I I did both of my sets last night at uh, Dev- Laughing Devil right while webcasting oh. and I had maybe three you know maybe, maybe well maybe like the first show I did I had like ten people watching 
just aren't, you know. Well, and how long can you do that for? Because Mike, you and I should do it for you, this show. You, you we should, should set yeah, up our little iPhones. Yeah, you can. You can Something literally look into. Yes. You can literally okay. do it for as long as you want, and then you can press save. It didn't work for me, but uh, you can press save, and it actually saves the video to your camera roll. Um, Boom. But or or not, or you don't have to save it to your camera roll. But then you can get followers and blah blah blah, and it's that's it it. a really fun thing. You okay, know, you just cool. do it on your phone. You don't have to be like, oh, let me get on, let me figure out how to make Skype and a thing. You know, it's yep. just like. Boom. This 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 technology, huh? Yeah, that's that's just great. I feel old every single day. I I, I learn something new every day, and every single day I feel older for it. But I also right? more informed, and I love it. Um, thank you so much for being here, thanks Ben. For, thanks for asking me, and it was nice running into you on the train. Yeah, I, mean, I ran that was into a, that Ben. Was a productive run-in. This is a perfect example of human interaction combined with uh, you know the internet and technology coming together to form a uh, a piece of art. Because yeah. I saw him on the subway, I gave you two hugs. Yeah. And then Facebooked you because Ben would be a great guy to talk to. And now we just did this. It was great. Perfect. Uh, and go fuck yourself, Roseanne. Fuck her. All right. Talk to you all soon.